Well, good morning, everyone, and it's lovely to see you here. Uh, it's lovely to be out with us again this morning, so it's lovely to see the place uh, well filled again. You know, over the last few days, as already been mentioned, our TV screens and social media feeds have been dominated by these harrowing pictures of families in Ukraine either fleeing for their lives or taking shelter for fear of their lives. Parents, uh, in the fight to protect their children from the horror that is unfolding all around them. And thankfully, in this country, while there is much political uncertainty, we enjoy relative peace. But despite the absence of war, I believe we need to fight for our families like never before. And that's our theme this morning, fight for your family. I'm going to read from Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4. I spoke on this passage, I think it was about 15 years ago, so I can remember little about it, and you probably remember less. But uh, we're going to visit a, a, fresh, a fresh start today in, in Nehemiah chapter 4. Now, when Sambalat had heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews, and he, he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they rescue it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn the ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break it down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of So we built the wall and all the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. But when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ishtodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed. They were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us, Ten times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans, with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. Let's just pray before we come to look at God's word. Lord, we thank you for uh, this word. We thank you that it is absolute truth. And Lord, we just pray that you would apply it to our hearts. Open our minds. Uh, to hear and our hearts to respond to what you would say to us this morning. Wash me afresh, Lord, and use me by your Holy Spirit and equip me, Lord, as I seek to share what you've laid in my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The background to this is, as a result of uh, their disobedience, uh, God's people had been taken as captives into Babylon, 
and they were held there for about 70 years. And the city of Jerusalem was virtually depopulated. During these uh, exile years, the world empire leadership changed from the Babylonians to the Persians. And God used a Persian king called Cyrus to bring about the return of some of God's people, albeit in phases, back to Jerusalem. And as we pick up the story in the book of Nehemiah, some of God's people have returned to Israel. Some have been there for nearly a century at this stage. And at this critical time in Israel's history, God had raised up this man, Nehemiah, to a position of influence with the Persian king, Artaxerxes. And Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer. It was a very influential position. He was a man of God, and he was in great distress that Jerusalem lay in ruins. Its walls had been reduced to rubble during the earlier Babylonian invasion. And Nehemiah got permission from the king to return to Jerusalem. You can read about that in the earlier chapters. So that he could organize and motivate God's people to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. It's interesting, Jerusalem was center stage in Old Testament history. It was still center stage in New Testament times. It's still center stage in world events today. The Temple Mount is one of the most fiercely contested pieces of ground on planet Earth. And it will be center stage in the future. The book of Zechariah tells us that when the Lord returns in power and glory, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives outside of Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is central to the purposes of God throughout history. The first phase of people to return had rebuilt the temple there, God's earthly dwelling place. And zealous for the Lord's honor, Nehemiah now wanted to restore the walls of the city. And so in this passage that we read, it records Nehemiah's exhortation to God's people to fight for their family in the face of enemy opposition and to push ahead with the Lord's work. And I want you to notice, whenever God is at work, opposition and discouragement are never far away. You see, as long as God's people were in Jerusalem and they were content in the sad situation they were in and the rubble all around them and the walls in ruin, the enemy left them alone largely. But whenever the Jews began to serve the Lord and to start to think about bringing glory to God's name, the enemy became active. We read about these two guys, Simbalad and Tobiah. They were governors in the region. Chapter 2 records that they were disturbed when they heard that someone wanted to come and help the people of Israel, especially someone that had the ear of the king. You see, they wanted to keep the Jews weak and keep them dependent. And they didn't want anything to threaten their influence and their wealth. And now that the work had begun on the wall, they were furious. They were enraged, it says, in verse 1. And they started to mock the Jews in a number of different ways. Firstly, they made fun of the people. Verse 2, they said, what are these feeble Jews doing? The word for feeble there literally means like withered, like as if you would cut a, a freshly cut flower that that fades away. What are these feeble Jews doing? They made fun of the people. They made fun of the whole idea of the project. Verse 2, will they restore it for themselves? You know, it was like as if they were laughing. With this remnant of feeble Jews, would they build a wall that would keep an army out? They said, will they sacrifice? It's as if they were saying, you know, it'll take a lot more than prayer and worship to rebuild this city. Sort of like, you know, do you think you're going to pray up these walls? 
You can imagine them laughing at God's people. Well, they finish it in a day. They were saying, you know, basically they haven't even a clue how big a job this is they've taken on. They know that little. They think they'll have it finished by this evening. They made fun of the whole project. They made fun of the materials they had to work with. When Jerusalem had been destroyed earlier, the the walls had been broken down and burned. And the limestone had probably been, been damaged by the fire. And there was heaps of rubble everywhere. They made fun of the materials. And then they made fun of the quality of the work. Tobias said in verse 3, we read it there, you know, if, if even as much as a fox goes up on the wall, he break it down. Some chance of keeping an army out. We made fun of God's people. Some of us know what that's like, don't we? we made fun of God's people. What was symbolic in Tobias' objective in all of this? Clearly to discourage God's people. Because Nehemiah had legal protection in the form of letters from the king, They had no authority to actually stop the work. So the best that they could do was to try and discourage them and discourage them to such an extent that they would stop the work. You know, never underestimate the impact of discouragement on God's people. One commentator has said, some people who can stand bravely when they're shot at will collapse when they're laughed at. You know, we think and act and we even pray and we even read God's word differently when we're discouraged, don't we? It's no wonder Satan works hard to keep us discouraged. But what was Nehemiah's response to all of this? Verse 4. Hear, O our God. Nehemiah took it to God in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee. Take it to the Lord in prayer. At first reading, when you read verses 4 and 5, this seems a pretty tough prayer, doesn't it? You know, whenever you analyze it, you realize Nehemiah wasn't wanting his own honor. It was the Lord's honor he was concerned about. You see, Tobiah had made a huge mistake. He referred to their wall. He thought this was the people of Israel's wall. When he was talking about the fox going up on it, he said, it will, it will break down their stone wall. But it wasn't their wall at all. It was God's wall. It was his work. It was God they were mocking. Nehemiah brought it to the Lord. And then in verse 6, the people got on with building the wall. You know, sometimes when we are under attack, the absolute best thing we can do is pray and commit the whole thing to the Lord. And then get back to our work. What was the result of Nehemiah's prayer? God answered Nehemiah's prayer by giving his people a mind to work. It says, verse 6. You know, that is exactly what Satan wants to destroy with his attacks. Our mind to work. He wants us to feel deflated and discouraged. It's interesting, Nehemiah had asked God to work on his enemies. The evidence seems to suggest that God worked on his people instead. The result was that the work on the wall progressed really well. Verse 6, it was halfway up and continuous right around the city. Of course then, Sambalat and Tobiah now realized this is worse than we thought. These Jews actually are going to build this wall. The enemies of the work became very angry. It says in verse 7, Jerusalem was surrounded by enemies on all four sides. It's in verse 7 there. We haven't time to go into it. But none of them wanted to see the restoration of Jerusalem. So these collective enemies of God's people became more serious. And rather than simply mock them, they conspired together and threatened to attack God's people. 
all to stop the work. Notice their other objective from the last few words of verse 8 there. It says, to cause confusion in Jerusalem. Satan loves to create confusion in the people of God, doesn't he? He can be sure he will not be moving forward and fulfilling the Lord's work when we're confused. Some of the Jews that were living in the surrounding villages heard of these plots uh, that these enemies had made and they repeatedly came to warn, warn the builders. And what was the response to this heightened threat? A bit familiar, isn't it? It says, verse 9, we made our prayer to God. We made our prayer to God. But notice what else it says. And set a guard. For some versions it says set a watch. You know, sometimes God expects us to take action as well as pray. All of the hard work in getting this to this wall to the halfway point was starting to tell on the builders. Verse 10 records that it was getting too much for them. You know, that must have been so discouraging for Nehemiah. See, it's easy to lead when things are going well and people have a mind to work. But what do you do when they start to show signs of giving up? Nehemiah organized the defense. He urged them not to be afraid, to have the right perspective. And he reminded them what they were fighting for. How much they had to lose. And he gave them this great rallying call that we read in verse 14. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. You know the enemies of God in this passage. They had hatched a devious plan. It was their intention to disrupt God's work. And their ultimate objective was to destroy God's people. Who does that remind you of this morning? Genesis 3 verse 1 says, The serpent, that is the devil, was more subtle than any beast of the field. The Lord Jesus himself, speaking of Satan in John 10 and 10, said, The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. You see, Satan was the influence and force behind Symbolat and Tobiah. And he is the great destroyer of lives. He's the great deceiver. He wants to disrupt God's work and he wants to destroy his people. You know, it's great to be in church this morning. It's great to be in church with God's people. It's great to sing his praises. It's lovely to see the families and the kids running about and all of the kids and praise God for it. But please hear me this morning. Satan wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to break up your home. And ultimately he wants to take your family to hell. God's people in this passage were alert to the danger around them. The danger their families and their homes were in. I wonder are we. I sometimes wonder are we. Do you know why we need to be alert to the danger? Praise God, we don't need to be in despair. Because if we place our trust in Christ, the one who is the author of physical life and spiritual life and eternal life, we have nothing to fear from the life destroyer. Nehemiah urged God's people to look back and remember God's goodness. To take confidence in their great God. 
You may be like the workers in the wall. This morning, you're feeling deflated and discouraged. He says to you, remember the Lord. He's great and he's awesome. Remember what he's done in your own life. Remember your salvation. Remember where he has brought you from. Remember where you once were. Remember that time that you were at rock bottom and you didn't know where to turn and God stepped in and God turned it around. Remember that time when the pain was too heavy to bear and he lifted you and he carried you. Remember that time whenever you felt his presence and his power so real you could nearly just reach out and touch it. It felt so real to you. Nehemiah says, remember the Lord because he's great and he's awesome and fight for your family. I want to finish with three quick practical points around what fighting for your families should look like in 2022. And hopefully they link into this passage. See, it doesn't matter what stage in life we're at, whether we're married or single, with kids or grandkids, we all have family. I would say to you this morning that fighting for our family will be reflected firstly in our prayers. It will be reflected in our prayers. If we truly believe that Satan's mission is to deceive and to destroy them, it should drive us to our knees. Nehemiah's default response to the enemy's attack was verse 4, Hear, O our God. Verse 9, We prayed to our God. I remember a dear saint of God, I think I mentioned this here before, he used to come to a prayer meeting in our home many, many years ago when I was only seven or eight. I was only there because it was easier than having to go to bed early. But he was a quiet, reserved man. He always brought me a bag of sweets. I remember that as well. Some things never change. But you know, whenever the prayer time started, he got up off the sofa. He's a wee quiet man. He got up off the sofa and he turned around and he got down on his knees. Everyone else was sitting on the seats. He got down on his knees at the sofa. And he poured out his heart to God for his family. I can still remember him praying for them by name, one by one, often with tears flowing down his cheeks. He's in heaven now. But God has answered his prayers. Am I, are you faithful in praying for your children and your wider family? Parents this morning, have your kids ever heard you pray for their salvation? Fighting for your family. It should be reflected in our prayers. It should be evidenced in the priorities that we display. Nehemiah's priority was the glory of God. He wanted to see the walls rebuilt and honor brought to God's name. I wonder, does your family see by your life that God's honor is your number one priority? Or do they see that God is squeezed into what you've got left after you've done all the things that are really important to you? What message are we given to our children if we profess to love the Lord and want them to do the same and yet frequently miss meeting together here to worship? The Lord Jesus said in Luke 12 and 34, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I wonder where your children think your treasure is this morning. What priorities are you passing on? 
your children and wider family see that you're fired up and you're passionate about God? Or is that just reserved for the football, or the hobbies, or the business? Fighting for a family should be reflected in the priorities we display to our family. And lastly, it should be demonstrated by a passion to warn those in danger. After Nehemiah heard of the plot to attack the workers, verse 9 tells us that they set a watch to look out for the safety of the builders. No, just as God's people set a watch in Nehemiah's day, so too God has placed us as watchmen over our households. It applies particularly but not exclusively to parents. See, we have a responsibility to erect safety rails, to set biblical boundaries for our children, and to warn our families of whatever age of the danger of being unsaved and being outside of a relationship with God and not being ready for heaven. We have a responsibility to be a watchman for our families. Amy Carmichael was born in Malayal in County Down. She became a missionary to India. And she writes of her experience one night. And she writes from her home in India. She says, I could not go asleep. So I lay awake and looked and I saw as it seemed this. That I stood on a grassy sward and at my feet a precipice broke sheer down into infinite space. Back I drew... Dizzy at the depth, she said. Then I saw people moving single file across the grass. They were making for the edge. There was a woman with a baby in her arms and another little child holding on to her dress. She was on the very verge. Then I saw that she was blind. She lifted her foot for the next step. It trod air. Oh, the cry. She went over. Then I saw streams of people from all parts. They were blind, stone blind, all made straight for the precipice edge. There were shrieks as they suddenly knew themselves falling, clutching at empty air. Then I saw that along the edge there were sentries set at intervals, but the intervals were far too great. They were wide and there were unguarded gaps between. And over these gaps the people fell in their blindness, quite unwarned. Then I saw like a little picture of peace, a group of people under some trees with their back to the precipice. They were making daisy chains. I wonder, are we making daisy chains? Oblivious, oblivious to the danger our family and our wider families are in if they remain unsaved? Or are you a sentry on the precipice edge warning your family of the need to get right with God? Maybe you're here or listening this morning and you've never surrendered your life to God. You've never asked Him for forgiveness for how you've rebelled against Him. And today you're still rushing towards that precipice edge. And you're saying, I know I need to get right with God. And I will someday. I'll do it someday. Friends, someday may never come. The Bible says, behold now, 
is the accepted time. Now, today is the day of salvation. Ask him for forgiveness today. Do an about turn from living for yourself to surrendering to God. The Bible calls it repentance. And God will wipe your slate clean and you'll become a brand new person on the inside and start on the road to heaven. Believer, there's an enemy on the prowl. His name is Satan. His tactics are to discourage and to steal and ultimately to kill and to destroy. But we don't need to live in fear of him. Remember the Lord. He's great and he's awesome. Remember all of the things he's done for you in the past. And fight for your families. I hope you noticed the note of victory our passage finished on. Verse 15 says, We all return to the wall, every one to his work. You see, defending against the attack wasn't the victory. Getting on with the work was the victory. Whenever we're under spiritual attack, it's easy to feel that we're that just sort of enduring the storm is a victory. It's not. The attack often comes to prevent your progress and to prevent your work for God. The victory is enduring the, is in enduring the attack and continuing to work for the Lord. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. And fight for your families, your sons and your daughters. May God enable you to do that by his grace this morning. Let's come and pray. Lord, we just thank you. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for the fact, Lord, that we can know you. You've come, you come and lived and dwelt among us. And you died on a cross to make a way whereby we could have our relationship with you restored. We pray for anyone here who doesn't know you hasn't had that personal relationship with you, and at this stage is headed for the precipice edge. Lord, we just pray that you would help them even this morning to turn and seek the Lord. Pray for the rest of us who know and love you, Lord. You know our profession of faith, and you know how we, work, we live it out, and sometimes, Lord, we fail. ask that you forgive us for that. And Lord, help us. Help us to fight for our families. Lord, give us a sense of priority to pray for them, to display priorities that reflect their relationship with you and have a passion for those who are lost. Pray for all of the kids here. Praise you for them. Thank you for them. Lord, may each one of them grow up to love and serve you all the days of their life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.